Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. It's Wall Builders. We're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, here with David and Tim Barton. David's America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders. Tim's a national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. And the most important person on this program right now is you. That's right, the listener. We need you to take action out there in your community. Not just listen, but act. Uh, as John Hancock said, not only to pray, but to act, right? There's so much we need to do. There's so much you can do in your community. So get plugged in. Today's going to be all about encouraging you, letting you know for, through our Good News Friday programs that victory is happening out there in communities across the country. You get to be a part of it. We encourage you to do that. Get signed up as a Constitution coach. Start hosting a class in your living room or at your church. You can do that for free at constitutioncoach.com. And you can actually come join us on Constitution Day this year. September 17th is Constitution Day. That's a Sunday, and we're going to have a huge celebration in Fredericksburg, Texas, where the Patriot Academy campus is being built. You can come be a part of that. Kirk Cameron's going to be with us, Brad Stein. Uh, we're going to do comedy, Constitution, and Revival. So it's the American Campfire Revival combined with the Comedy and Constitution. It's going to be a huge event, and you can even stay over and do a constitutional defense course at our campus. Hope you'll check that out today at patriotacademy.com. And it's time for our first piece of good news. David Barton's going to kick us off. David, where are we headed for today? Well, guys, I want to start with an activity that happened in the Fort Worth, Dallas area. Uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago, there was uh, a national religious conference held here in town. A bunch of solid evangelical Christian people came to town, and, and it's an annual Bible conference they, they hold, and, and thousands upon thousands came. And we know the leaders, and they're good folks, and, and they're solid believers, and they really try to affect the culture and do good things, and, and, and they're politically active and involved, and, and they do things with education. They just do a lot of really good stuff. But what I was really thrilled with was that while people came to the convention and got some good Bible teaching and good inspiration and good fellowship, et cetera, what I really liked was the fact that during the day, they took time off, and they went out on the streets and just started talking to people and and checking where they were with Christ, and do you know Christ, and can I share Christ with you? And, and, and it was really good. It's what we used to call street witnessing, just going out and sharing Jesus with the people. And that's a characteristic I really have not seen much of in years and years, and, and that's unfortunate. Now, we've definitely talked about the fact that the number of Christians in America are definitely declining. Uh, the percentage of those that believe in God is declining. And, and one of the things that will cause your faith to decline is not sharing your faith with anybody else. And we just haven't seen that kind of emphasis on evangelism, that every single Christian should be sharing their faith. Jesus talked in the Gospels. After he did good things for people, he said, now, go tell others what I've done for you. And this used to be just a, a typical part of, of, of being a Christian, just like reading your Bible, just like praying, was sharing your faith. And I cannot tell you the last time that I was randomly stopped by someone who didn't know me, who just started talking to me to see if I knew God or knew about Jesus or anything else. And that used to be fairly regular. I could be at malls or I could be at gas stations or whatever, and people would want to share their faith, which is a great thing to do. So I, I find that to be really a positive sign. I hope it grows across America. Every single Christian needs to share their faith with others. That was just a standard part of Christian living. If Jesus has done something for you, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If, as, if he's changed you, that's something you want to talk about. Now, if you're really comfortable in your faith and, and you know, it doesn't, doesn't really impress you as something so significant you need to share with others, 
maybe it's time to get back into your Bible, get back into your prayer time, get back into other time, but Christians really do need to share their faith. And perhaps we've been kind of bullied in the sense that we're just kind of not wanting to share with other people because we don't know if they're going to explode on us or you know if they're going to kind of weaponize their, their talk back against us. Things are so fragile now and so polarized and so weaponized. Maybe we're kind of intimidated, but that's still not a good reason for not sharing faith. So I just have to say, I, I thought it was really a positive thing that when they had this Bible conference, as part of it, they included the concept of evangelism or of sharing your belief and your faith with someone else who might not know God and, and trying to get other people to know God. That is a great thing for everybody to do. Every Christian believer should be doing that. Yeah, David, I remember you talking about self-censoring, Christians self-censoring their opinions on, on social media. Self-censoring the sharing of the gospel itself is probably what uh, has caused us to you know be so quiet and you not hear uh, more people sharing the, sharing the gospel. But hey, what good is the First Amendment, freedom of religion, if you're not living out your faith or freedom of speech, if you're not speaking? So very healthy thing. Well, guys, I would add to that. One of the things that, uh, unfortunately, the American culture has kind of embraced over the last several decades, it does not polite to talk about politics or religion uh, in, in certain settings. And so, unfortunately, we have seen the, the outflow, the, the, the fruit that's been produced by those ideas, and the repercussions of it have not been good. We are a nation now much more in trouble, but it's also something we've seen in modern church culture. The idea that uh, we just need to take our friends to church and our pastors will tell them about Jesus we, we've really misunderstood and twisted part of the notion of our responsibility as a Christian, where the, the Bible talks about the, the role of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Part of the work of the ministry is when Jesus told his disciples to go make other disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that he had taught and commanded them. This was a basic notion in Christianity. And unfortunately, we have, have changed a lot of what should be fundamental core aspects of Christianity because we we didn't want to be pushy. We want to be polite. We're just going to take them to our pastor instead. And this is something that should be recovered. So dad, to your point, it really is great news that there are moments and, and times when you do see people once again, embracing this thought of sharing the gospel, of sharing the truth, the hope, the light and life found in Jesus. And I would add to that, that if there is one thing that Satan could have above all else, it would be for people to stop talking about Jesus. I mean, if, if people stop talking about Jesus, that other people won't know Jesus, the faith will not increase, it will die off of attrition, which is perfect for him. That That is his dream world, is for Christians to go away, and self-censoring certainly does that. And so, you know, Tim, to what, what you said, even the disciples, when he told them that, they weren't professional ministers, they weren't paid guys. They were fishermen, and they were carpenter kind of guys, and they were government officials and others. He said, hey, you guys, you individuals, you guys that have been following me, go make other disciples to follow me. And, and so, you know, Tim, you hit it right on there, and that used to be part of what we taught was that great commission, and that's not for the paid professionals. That's for the individual believers in Christ to go share their faith, and if we don't, we are absolutely helping accommodate exactly what Satan would love to happen, and that is for us to stop talking about what Christ has done for us and what he can do for others. Well, considering it is the good news, that's the perfect story to start a Good News Friday with. So, David, good news there for sure. Tim, where are we headed with our next piece of good news? Well, this one is going to Oberlin College, and we, we talked about Oberlin College, I don't know how many weeks ago it was at this point or months ago it's been, 
Um, Overland College got themselves in trouble because there was a, a local bakery. And there were some individuals in one of the bakery. They, they stole some alcohol, among other things. One of the individuals from the bakery ran out. There was a fight. The individual from the bakery ended up being beaten. Police were called. It was college students from Oberlin College. And they were uh, arrested. They actually pleaded guilty. They uh, admitted that race had nothing to do with what happened. And yet students on the campus, professors, administrators on the campus, leadership of the campus came out and they said that this was a racist deal. It was white people uh, stopping black people from being able to get alcohol or whatever else they were getting. There was all these allegations, all these comments surrounding it. And it ends up there were protests outside the business. Uh, the business is devastated. They can't survive. So they bring a lawsuit because they were literally trying to stop people from stealing. And then they're accused of being racist and the school is doing protests and the, the administration of the school is supporting the protesting and, and calling this uh, bakery bad names. And to be clear, it was a bakery that sold other things as well, but it was Gibson's Bakery. And so the, the college ends up losing the lawsuit. That's not the good news necessarily. Uh, this is something I think, again, we've already talked about some of this. What's fascinating is the college said, hey, it's no problem. We are financially prepared to cover these things. And, and what they went on to explain was they had lots and lots and lots of insurance. And, and by the way, let me throw in, Tim, it was a massive win. The jury gave them like 32 or, or $50 million. I mean, it was a massive smackdown. And it was a massive thing. And as you're saying, the college said, well, that's no big deal. We can cover that. Yeah, yeah. And specifically, it was $44 million that they were there awarded uh, because of the, the state had a limitation and said, you you can't actually get more than $36 million from somebody. Uh, yeah, that, that actually was coming up uh, later in the article. But uh, nonetheless, it was a huge settlement. And Oberlin says, hey, it's no big deal. We've got all this insurance. Insurance is going to cover it. And the insurance... By and large, and they have several different policies with several different insurance agencies and groups. And they said, this is not what our insurance package covers. It doesn't cover you being ridiculous. So now Oberlin is suing the insurance agency. And I, I, I'm not saying it's good news necessarily that Oberlin is having lots of problems and issues. However, I do think there is good news from the signal it can send especially from some of these insurance agencies that are over universities. Universities need to know, you don't have carte blanche to silence people, to encourage your students to go protest, to damage, to destroy, to shut down businesses, and then think that you're not going to have consequences and you won't be held responsible because you have a monthly insurance fee that you pay, and that means you can do whatever you want. The good news is we are seeing to this point that there are consequences that still happen when there are actions, that that this is not going to be eradicated by no penalty for the college because they have insurance. This is something that I, I think, especially if the insurance company is able to win and show that their insurance policy did not cover a university administrative official encouraging students to go protest and damage and destroy a business, that would be Absolutely ridiculous to imagine insurance policy would cover something like that, but it would be very good on the backside to see this. So it's already been a great win for Gibson's Bakery, but now for for the reality of maybe some consequences for actions, recognizing that the Bible is very clear. God says, don't be deceived. Whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. 
there is a law of, of sowing and reaping. There's a law of consequences and actions. And we live in a culture that's tried to remove the consequences for certain actions. And so it's just, to me, it's very good news that at least we are having the potential example of a university having to deal with the consequence of their negative behavior because it certainly can send a message to other universities. And, and as we've talked about on this program many times, there's a lot of universities that have embraced woke. They're silencing free speech in many places. They're, they're stopping religious expression in places. It's a reason individuals uh, like our friends, uh, attorneys from First Liberty Institute or Liberty Council or Alliance Defending Freedom or Pacific Justice, all these different organizations, the reason they are in business at all, the reason they exist is because there are so many universities doing this crazy stuff. But if this goes through, this can give a very clear warning sign to those universities that you better make sure you understand the reality of the world you're living in. And there are still consequences for actions and you need to make sure you are living accountable for what you do or don't want to pay. So again, to me, this is really good news that right now Oberlin is on the hook and the insurance company is saying, this is not what our insurance agreement was for. This is not what we covered you for. Hopefully that stands up and Oberlin will be the example to other universities that you cannot encourage your students to go trash, protest, shut down a local business because you disagreed with them, even though the students who were arrested agreed they were wrong. They pled guilty and they said race had nothing to do with it. It didn't matter. It wasn't part of the narrative. Hopefully, Oberlin College and this example sends a message to everybody else to not let feelings trump the facts. I, I like the way you uh, describe it too, Tim. It's not just one piece of good news. It has a ripple effect. And instead of having a chilling effect, it's going to have a ripple effect in a really, really good way. Hey, guys, quick break. We've got more good news coming, folks. Stay with us. You're listening to Wall Builders. Hey, guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not, not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? Well, what is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story, starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln. We tell the story of America, not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story. We're back on Wall Builders. It's Good News Friday. Thanks for staying with us. And we're back over to David for the next piece of good news. This is kind of a double barrel, Rick. There's a couple pieces here, and they kind of relate. I'm going to start with the first one. Uh, this is something we talked about weeks ago. It was kind of a crazy thing where the Southern Illinois University, there was a student there. I think she was in a fine arts program. But anyway, she was posting things on her social media, not part of the class, on her social media. And she, she was pro-life and other things, but uh, among other things, she shared a quote from John MacArthur, who is a, a noted Bible teacher out on the West Coast. And she, she put this up on social media. It says, those who dare to take an unpopular stand or who declare truth in a definitive way or worst of all, those who express disagreement with someone else's teachings will inevitably be marked as troublesome. 
Compromise has become a virtue, while devotion to truth has become offensive. Now, that's just a statement. It's a belief. It's, a, I think, a challenging statement. She put that up. Uh, one of the things she talked about was that the storming of the Capitol on January the 6th was not a good thing. The way it happened, it should not have happened that way. It sends a bad signal, bad message. It makes conservatives look really bad. She posted things like that. And what happened was some of her peers read her social posts and got offended at her. Now, first thing, you're in college. You ought to have enough brains to know that if it offends you, don't read it. Don't go back to her social posts. She doesn't require you to read them. You don't have to read things that make you mad. But they read them, and they were offended. And so they reported her. And so the university issued a non-contact order with her that she couldn't post that stuff because it offended those who read it. And so as a result, what happened was she she got with Alliance Defending Freedom, and, and they took it to court. And, of course, the Southern Illinois University lost, and they had to pay her a settlement on that loss. But what's really cool about it is, is the judges ordered that the that the school's professors, that three of the school's professors involved in this situation, they have to undergo First Amendment training as part of the settlement. So, hey, professors, you are so twisted on your understanding of free speech. As part of the settlement with the university, not only does the university have to pay her, it has to send you professors to a training for what the First Amendment means and what it does and what it protects and what the Constitution is all about, which I think that's a great solution because these kind of ridiculous things keep happening in universities. So requiring the professors, and isn't this crazy that we're at the university level and they don't even know what free speech is or free speech protection, or if they do know, they don't care and they just go against it? Well, in the same way, you may recall that uh, I guess is a year or two ago, maybe back in 20... No, I guess it was longer than that. It says 2017. There was a Southwest Airlines flight attendant that on her own Facebook, she posted pro-life statements. She not she wasn't talking to passengers on a plane. She just posted this on her own things. And what happened was um, Southwest Airlines fired her over her pro-life views. Now, she took them to court and she won. She'd been a flight attendant for 21 years, stellar record, high marks, high, high ratings from passengers, et cetera. But because she posted these pro-life things, they took, they, they took her off. They took her out. She sued and won a $5.1 million settlement. Part of the settlement was that Southwest Airlines has to put a notice out regarding the right of religious speech of its employees, that there is a First Amendment. She has the right to express her religious beliefs and views, including the fact that, that abortion is wrong. And so that's part of the settlement. Well, as it turns out, the three lead attorneys over Southwest Airlines did not make a notification that they have a right to free speech and a right to freedom of religion. Instead, they came out with a notification that says, look, if you do what she did, if you share your views on this, you're going to be fired just like she's going to be fired. Now, that's ignoring the settlement agreement they had. So they're back in court again, and she wins again. This time, the judge has ordered the three attorneys to undergo First Amendment training. Now, that seems crazy in itself because they took an oath to uphold the Constitution. You would think that at some point they had a con law class, but uh, we've already seen a lot of con law classes teach uh, progressive con law, uh, a living Constitution, not the actual thing. So here is a judge saying, hey, you attorneys, you simply don't have a clue what the First Amendment means. you got to go back and get some training. So here's two great decisions, 
And now the judges are being proactive and say, this is so ridiculous. This should never come to our court. You guys that are bringing this, educators, professional educators, professional attorneys, you've got to go back and get some basic constitutional training, which is a really good piece of news. I hope the whole nation gets into going back to constitutional training. We'd have a lot less mess in a lot of areas if we did. Yeah, I love it. It's kind of a reverse of uh, reverse course, right, where they did all the sensitivity training all those years. And uh, I saw the one on the Southwest. I didn't see the one on the professors, but I, I thought that was hilarious that the that the lawyers for Southwest were going to have to get that get that training. And it also made me think, David. At one point, we even talked about doing a continuing education class for lawyers on the First Amendment and on freedom of religion and all that. We should we should think about doing that again. All right, Tim. Uh, I think we well we might get two more pieces of good news in. Let's see what we got. Well, guys, this one's Louisiana, and just earlier in the month, uh, the, the Democrat governor, uh, John Bell Edwards, uh, actually, it's something he signed in June, it just took effect in August. Uh, however, it was a law requiring, in God We Trust displays in public school classrooms, there had been a law passed back in uh, the 2019-2020 uh, school year that they posted in God We Trust uh, signed somewhere in the school, it had to be on display in the school building. But this one required that in God We Trust displays be put in every single classroom. And uh, we actually have been able to be a part of, of several of these in God We Trust displays going on, uh, starting with Arkansas several years ago. One of our, our good friends, uh, a state rep, now he's a state senator in Arkansas, Jim Dotson. Uh, he's the guy uh, really helped that helped spearhead that in Arkansas. Uh, and then that was done in several states. We have a a pro-family legislative network that we work with a lot of different elected officials in different states. And we've been able to promote that piece of legislation and, and, and seen it now pass in several states. Well, the good news is this is now going in Louisiana. What's kind of fascinating about this is this article identifies the measure passed Republican-controlled Louisiana Senate with no votes cast in opposition and the Republican-controlled Louisiana House of Representatives voted to concur with the Senate passed version of the legislation with no members opposing the effort. So both the House and the Senate, they had nobody voting against it. Because when I first saw this, I thought, okay, why in the world would this Democrat governor sign it? Was it maybe that the, the, the House and the Senate, they have a veto-proof majority, and he doesn't want to look bad having this overridden? Well, it, it very well could be something along those lines, because when you have a House and Senate— where there is no opposition against putting in God We Trust displays in every single classroom in Louisiana, then as the governor, whether you agree with this or not, you know if you come out against it, you are going to be the only one against it in the from the legislative bodies and specifically in the this kind of leadership of the state. So really encouraging news. Also, it's the article highlights a, kind of a, a, to me, funny side note that there is a artist who was offended. Uh, he is is someone who believes in separation of church and state. And so he started a fundraiser uh, trying to bring opposition to the bill. He wanted to raise $25,000. Uh, at the point of the article, he'd raised $687. Uh, so to me, that was also good news that he did not get any momentum saying we want to stop this from going into schools. Uh, so, again, good news. We've seen this, as I mentioned before, already happen in several states. Uh, we've already seen it in Arkansas, Kentucky, South Dakota, Utah, Virginia, Mississippi. Uh, all our states that have passed this, there's more states that will continue to do this going forward. And, guys, this is something we, we have, we've talked a lot about on the show where when we look at some of the state legislative bodies 
and some of those state chambers, we are seeing some really positive steps being taken, whether it be legislation trying to get the Ten Commandments back in public schools or these in God we trust displays, but things to once again remind people of some of the core foundation basic principles of America, which certainly goes back to the founder's notion that we believe that there was a divine creator and our rights came from him. Well, if there is no God, there can be no God-given rights. So just the idea of getting this notion of in God we trust back in front of students is a really good first step to helping getting us back in the direction where maybe once again, we can talk about and defend God-given rights because we will once again, remember there's a God and if there's a God, then there can be God-given rights, something that seems to have been largely forgotten in much of the conversation today. Hey, I'm not an artist, but I've got to say I support separation church and state too, except I support it the way Jefferson and the founders intended it, which means the government can't stop a religious expression. So bless his heart, he's another one that needs some First Amendment training. He's probably got his First Amendment training from attorneys that that came through the 60s, 70s, and 80s with all the progressive stuff. Uh, and He doesn't have a clue what that phrase meant in original intent, because what Louisiana did is exactly what separation church and state would have protected back in the Founders' days. So another interesting commentary on how poorly our education is done. I love this good news story, and of course, I've told this on the program many times, but this was one of the things I got to do as a state rep when American Family Association 20 years ago had those, you know, they were In God We Trust posters with the flag, and I sent one to every school, every campus in my district, and one of the schools voted 7-0 on their school board not to allow it to be hung because they had bad advice from a lawyer. David, we need to get that lawyer going to some good classes on this for sure, and we showed up at the next school board meeting with a couple of hundred citizens in the room with their In God We Trust shirts, and that that school board switched their vote from 7-0 against to 7-0-4, and we got those posters into the classroom. And then I gave the chairman of the school board your book, David. I gave him original intent, and he he called me later and said, man, they didn't teach me any of that in school. He was an attorney. And a couple of years later, he got elected district judge, and and he then had that that good knowledge from original intent. So I love these stories about the, the national motto, uh, posters and getting those into schools. It reminds me of those those good old days back when I walked hey, to school hey, uphill both ways. Hey, Rick, yeah. one of those, back to the good old days, one of those political axioms we had in the good old days was when they feel the heat, they see the light. That's and right. In fact, <laughs> That's right. When you get, a, you get a crowd showing up, that 7-0 vote goes the other way. That's, That's right. a great political axiom as well. Lots of good news today, folks. Thank you to David and Tim for doing the research and bringing them to us. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Wallbuilders. Stand undivided forever.